We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Total Wine and More announces points with a purpose. Now through September 13th, collect five times points on wines and spirits. Points earned equals a matching donation to local charities. Up to $2 million in total. Shop with us today or visit TotalWine.com. Terms and conditions apply. Happy holidays, everybody. Welcome to It's Time with Bruce Buffer. Uh, I'm not Bruce Buffer. I'm TJ DeSantis. Uh, best of show as uh, we're in between Christmas and the new year, but still wanted to bring you a brand new episode of It's Time, and uh, we got a good one for you. The UFC is back in action this Saturday night. It goes down at the Forum in Los Angeles. It was originally supposed to take place in Las Vegas as John Jones, the former UFC light heavyweight champion, takes on Alexander Gustafson. It's a rematch of really one of mixed martial arts' greatest title fights. And uh, some changes have had to, ha- uh, had to happen as uh, John Jones uh, tested positive for a banned substance. However, it was at the picogram level, which I can't even wrap my head around that. And apparently was from his initial usage in July of 2017. Uh, unfortunately, the Bad Athletic Commission was like, we can't uh, license you, so... Toyota's Labor Day sales event is ending soon. Save big with 0% APR on 13 of Toyota's top-selling models like RAV4, Camry, and Corolla. Don't wait. Toyota's Labor Day sales event ends Monday. Toyota, let's go places. Click the banner or visit buyatoyota.com. This show out of here, and the UFC decided to go ahead with the show in Los Angeles. Now, the backstory and why I'm giving you that is because in July of 2010, Bruce Buffer uh, interviewed a very young 23-year-old John Jones ahead of his fight with Vladimir Machyshenko. And this is before John Jones really became Johnny Bones Jones. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting to hear Bruce Buffer talk to John um, and give him some advice. And we'll leave it up to you on whether or not John Jones followed that advice. But um, it is what it is, and it's it's cool to jump into uh, the time capsule and relive an interview with, again, a very young John Jones and uh, Bruce Buffer. So uh, with that said, we'll give that to you. Enjoy the fights coming up on Saturday night. Uh, I'd appreciate it if you check my shows out at patreon.com forward slash between rounds. Uh, we'll do some uh, post-fight analysis live, uh, beat down after the bell, uh, things like that. But uh, also should uh, mention that if you are still looking for that last-minute holiday gift, uh, why not a personal greeting from Bruce Buffer? He records them, $99, gets you a uh, custom announcement from Buff. Uh, BruceBuffer.com for all that information. Okay, without further ado, it's time from July 27th, 2010. Hey, Buff, we've talked about it time and time again, but at this point, I think it's a no-brainer. I don't even think we need to say it, but we might as well. If you're going to bet the games this weekend or fights or really any sport, all of our listeners should be doing it one place, and that's my book. I agree because, you know, the important thing is it's not what team or sport you're betting on. 
that's important. It's even more important to know who you're betting with. And that's why I always tell people to bet with my bookie. And trust me, they are the best bet this season for your choices. They've been in business for years. They have great reviews online. Their mobile site is really easy to use. So I would only recommend a service like this to my listeners. And the reason why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie is because if you win, they pay. They have in-game live betting, the most rewarding player per perks in the business. And for guys out there that love betting on fantasy, fantasy sports, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. They have all these special things on their site. So basically, join now, and MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use the promo code BUFFER to activate the offer. That's BUFFER, all in capitals, B-U-F-F-E-R. Visit MyBookie online today. Again, that's MyBookie. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E.com. And don't forget to use the promo code BUFFER in capitals when creating your account to claim your bonus. And why? Because if you play, you win, you get paid. From the shores of Malibu, where the bikini girls are sunbathing, to Bondi Beach in Australia, where the waves are pumping, and to the Great Wall of China, where God knows who is walking, we are live on the Sure Dog Radio Network. I'm Bruce Buffer, and I'm here with my associate, T.J. DeSantis, and we are back for two weeks in a row of It's Time Radio. We talk about what you want to talk about with a very special guest today. T.J., how are you? I'm good. How the heck are you? I'm really good. I'm uh been uh, had a very exciting week you know i'm back i right. got stuck at another poker tournament tj uh-oh i'm going back tonight i went up in the two hundred thousand dollar guaranteed main event at hustler right which is owned and run by larry flint from hustler magazine of it's course. actually one of the nicer casinos here in the uh, socal area for poker um very relaxing very very good and i uh, went up against a thousand people about 300 played each day for three days where they took the final 25 and tonight I go up against the remaining 74 people aside from myself and we're playing for $200,000 in prize money. Wow. Yeah. You're on a roll lately by the way. On a roll, already in the money. Yeah. I mean, not a lot. I mean, we've each won like 400 bucks because we just got in the money, but still. And it only cost me $200 to enter. How's that? Double my bet. Look at you. Look at you making moves. Making moves and um, some really, really good players, you know, in town, and uh, I'm excited. 75 out of 100 ain't bad, and I've got 400,000 chips. I'm right above the average, rolling right into first place. Going to take home about, mm, hopefully, 70, 75,000 in big K cash tonight. Look so at you, Mr. Buffer. Yeah. Look at you. Congratulations, sir. Hey, if I don't, I'll get a nice free dinner, a couple of drinks, a nice deep tissue massage at the table from one of their great masseuses, and I'll take home 35,000. Well, there's uh, nothing wrong with that, my friend. All right, nothing I'm happy just that. I'm happy just to get 400 and have some fun, TJ. It's there all good. Go. There you go. So wish me luck. Anyway, we've got four shows coming up in August. We've got three UFCs, one WEC. I'm very bummed Phil Baroni is out of UFC 118. I was looking forward to seeing Phil come back. We'll talk more about this and and other stuff. Let's get our special guest on the phone, John Bones Jones, coming on to talk about his big fight with Vladimir Matushenko. This Sunday on Versus, UFC on Versus. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, in this corner, we have a wrestler and a Muay Thai kickboxer. Standing six feet four inches tall, weighing 205 pounds on the day of the weigh-in. God knows what, on the day of the fight, the phenom, the man who someday is going to hold the UFC belt around his waist as Dana White ties it on when... I can't tell you. Will it happen? I am sure it will. Ladies and gentlemen, John Bones Jones. John, how are you? Hey, how's it going, Bruce? 
That's going good. I'm just I'm just warming up, John. You know, I got to get ready for Saturday. Uh, excuse me, Sunday night. Pardon me. Hey, that sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> you know, you throw punches. I still throw a few once in a while. Not like you, of course, but I got to work on the old throw to throat. So thank you for letting me warm up. I know you got to get back to your kickboxing coach at 2:30. TJ John says it can't go past 2:30 because when he told his kickboxing coach, his kickboxing coach says, "Media who get to work." I like that. That's right. Yeah, we John. He is old school, man. He hates uh, he hates when photographers come into his gym and uh, and all that. He's just one of those bread and butter, old school style coaches. And uh, yeah, he he gives me no leeway. Well, you know that's okay, John, because that's what you need. You know, giving you that extra emphasis to do the job you got to do. Speaking of which, let's just talk about the obvious at hand right now. On Sunday night, you're going to fight one of the longtime UFC fighters, a dynamite wrestler in his own right, Vladimir Matichenko. Uh, Vladimir, TJ, how old is Vladimir now? Um, I'm not sure, but he, he's no, uh, he's no spring, yeah, no spring chicken. 39 years old, John says. Yeah, he's no spring chicken, but, you know, uh, when I look at this, I ask myself first, John, I want to ask you this too. With all the choices of fighters that could face you in the 205-pound division, was Matichenko a surprise pick uh, from the matchmakers, and is it one that you can that you've been able to get up for, considering all the other talent in 205? And I'm not taking anything away from Vladimir because he's an awesome wrestler and probably one of the strongest men I would think you've faced yet in your career. So you do have a tough fight Sunday night. How did it hit you when they came to you and said, "John, here's your opponent. Let's sign this." Um, you know, at first I was I was kind of bummed about it because uh, you know obviously I'm fighting guys with big names, a huge big career. And they're always win-win situations. And uh, I felt in this fight I had a little more to lose than gain because uh, not too many people know who he is. Um, but once I started to actually, uh, you know, scout him out and you know, watch all of his footage, I got really up for the fight and uh, really excited to train for him. Um, you know, his record's 24 and 4, and that's a very respectable record. By far, the biggest record and best record that I've ever gone against. And uh, you know, he's just a warrior. He's a he was an IFL champion. He's fought for the belt before, and and the biggest thing is that he just knows how to pull off uh, victories, and he knows how to win the fight. So I'm very up for the fight, very motivated for this fight, and uh, I actually look at Vladimir as my toughest test to date. You know, he's he's uh, physically slow and and uh, strong, and he's not really a you know flashy fighter, but he knows how to win. So um, you know, I'm I'm not looking past him, and I'm training uh, the hardest that I can. Well, I, I appreciate your honesty, as you always are with me when we talk and with everybody else, which is one of the appeals of yourself. Um, and I agree with you on all the points because you do have to look, in my opinion, at Vladimir as a formidable opponent because, like you said, you put it perfectly. He knows how to win. And when you look at his record, he's fought Ortiz you know, in Ortiz's prime. He's fought uh, Randy Couture. You know, he's fought some really, really tough – now, excuse me, Randy Couture, I, did, I announced a wrestling match between him and Randy Couture. And it was something to really see. It was at the uh, X Wrestling, I think it was called. Forget what. I'm sorry, the name escapes me. But very, very, very tough opponent. And again, I'm going to say he's probably the strongest opponent that you're going to face to date, as far as physicality. And and in simplicity in fighting, you know, that's the key to winning too, John. As you know, not everybody can be flashy like you and pull it off. Those simplistic moves are what win fights, right? Absolutely. Just that good old meat and potatoes and uh, that good old bread and butter. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, no flash, no spinning techniques, no flying techniques. He has his basic jazz and his overhands and his double-leg dive, and it's working for him. Um, you know, my main goal in this fight is just mainly just to be something that I've never seen or never fought against, you know, just being really young and dynamic and, 
you know, someone that can mix it up with him, wrestling, kickboxing, and whoever he wants to take the fight. So I'm really confident, but, you know, not, not naive to uh, what I'm going up against. Very smart, as always. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't think anything less of you, John. Now, oh, with fighting oh, – no, it's impossible. I mean, I just – I've told you before, and I'll say it again on the air, and I'll say it every time. What amazes me about you – are you 22 or 23 now? 23 as of the 19th of July. Old 23. Now. Oh, stop that. Got 30 years <laughs> on you, boy. Just respect your elders. That's all I tell you. <laughs> but listen, at 23 – Still a baby in respect to the fight game that you're in. Now training for roughly about three years, the sport of MMA with all your great wrestling background. But see, TJ, here's what I see in John. What I see in John is he's got the tools, the tools that make him with the million-dollar smile, the Muhammad Ali-like persona and likability, all the stuff you got going for you, which I'm going to make a simple prediction right now with the way your career is going to flow over the next five years. You're going to be worth millions of dollars by the time you're 28 years old, John. Now, I'm not just talking about being a millionaire. You'll probably accomplish that in the next year. Okay, because of all the other deals that are going to come at you. But you're going to be a multiple millionaire by the time you're 28 in your absolute prime in the sport of mixed martial arts, reigning to whatever level in the UFC octagon. Do you ever think past the next few years to saying, well, hey, I see all this for myself. I know where I'm going. I know you see the prize. I know you have your eyes on the prize. But do you think about what's going to happen after you stop fighting or when your career starts winding down? Let's say, where would you see yourself at 38 years old? You ever think about uh, that? Well, uh, yeah, I do. And, and first of all, I want to say thank you for uh, those compliments. That you know, it's really great to hear, and uh, you know, it's definitely what I'm striving for. Um, as far as my, my goals for myself after fighting, um, my main goal is to leave the sport um, with a good head on my shoulders. You know, I don't want to really take so much damage and, and uh, you know, be walking around stuttering and things like that. Um, so what, that's what my main goal is just really not to take much damage and to have a, a long career and. Uh, and, uh, you know, really um, change my family's tree financially, um, you know, to be able to uh, get my daughters into good colleges and, and really pay the, a bright future for my whole family tree. Um, and, uh, you know, mixed martial arts is a beautiful thing. I embrace what it is, and I do realize all the opportunity that's in the sport. And uh, just very aware of it, and I'm going to try to play all my cards right um, so that I can, you know, help the sport grow and get it legalized in New York. And, and uh, you know, just, uh, you know, Right, this wave of, of the beautiness that we're all on. Well, that's good. I mean, you're actually what you're what you're saying is you want to be the best fighter you can be, and you want to be an ambassador for the sport at the same time. Uh, and hopefully, that involves being a role model for the young kids and for you know everybody as they see you Absolutely. walk and talk. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you're you're at the point now, John. You're going to be scrutinized by people. I know that doesn't affect you. I I, I don't let it affect me. But whenever you're in the public eye, to whatever it's a niche. Uh, market of fame or a huge celebrity like a George Clooney or something like that, as much as people want to be around you, they are going to look at you and they're going to be waiting for you to slip. They're going to be waiting for you to, you know, slide. Um, and it's just the scrutiny. The scrutiny gets heightened with the popularity. It's just part of the thing. And they'll 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 be with you all the way up to the top, John. And then the horrible thing is, is that human nature. There's going to be a number of people that can't wait to see you fail because of the of their jealousy that comes up inside them. This is just human nature, and you're going to come up against everything. But you just keep following yourself on that star level that you're handling yourself. Try not to make any mistakes, and if you do, just learn from them and don't make them again. And you're going to you, God. It's unbelievable. Your future is just amazing. Let's let's talk yeah. about. I like that. That's all you need to say. Yeah. It's like you remember. <laughs> You remember trading places with Eddie Murphy? 
You ever see that movie? No. Uh, no, I think I've seen it, but I don't remember the movie too clearly. Uh, I think it's funny you mentioned George Clooney, though. Just uh, why George? Well, George, I mean, here's George is one of the most likable movie stars walking. Personally, I would love to have a parts of his lifestyle. The, the house on Lake Cuomo where he gets on his bike and rides for his morning milk and cheese and bread. Uh, to wow. the To the girls that he dates, which is just, you know, they're all gorgeous, and hopefully they they got a brain to go along with how beautiful they are. But, you know, he's a very cerebral guy. He does charity work. He goes out and puts out his own time and his own money to help the world's growth, not just here in the States but outside internationally. You know, he's an ambassador for somebody that has reached a level in his life where he has everything anybody could possibly want financially, but he likes to give back and yet still do all the work it takes to maintain the star status and maintain his image as a movie star making good or fine films, getting nominated for Academy Awards and Emmys and all this kind of stuff that goes through this man's life. And, and, and we're talking about somebody that's at the top of their game. So the reason I would compare you to the potential of being a George Clooney in the field of mixed martial arts you know, is only because of the fact that you have a chance to achieve all this great status yourself in respect to total respectability and being a total role model for the sport, much like Randy Couture. That's a pretty good answer. So there's, yeah, yeah, definitely. So let's take, let's talk a little bit about Randy right now, okay? We got hmm. James Tony, who's going to come in as the boxer, and I don't want to I don't want to compare this to Ray Mercer and Tim Sylvia. I don't want to compare it to uh, you know a couple other guys that have tried to come into the sport with all respect from the fun, their fine careers as boxers. We're talking about James Tony, who can handle himself, one of the most vicious strikers in the boxing game. His strange. Left foot forward, shoulder up in front of his head stance, which is, you know, here, take me down with a single leg takedown. Hopefully he's being trained to avoid that. But let's talk about this guy coming in now with all the boxers who are paying attention, hoping that he's going to win to disprove the theory of the, you know, the popular theory of how a boxer will do stepping in the octagon past the days of Art Jimerson and UFC 1. And here's Randy Couture, 48 years old, coming on, stepping up to every challenge possibly can step up to, and taking this man on. I say he gets through the first 90 seconds because that's what I see Tony bringing to the table. It's all Randy Couture. So how do you how yeah. do you view this fight? Absolutely. I uh, I really don't have too much respect for James Tony, and just because of the way he entered this whole situation, you know I. Uh, I believe in trying to be, you know, as humble as possible and really respecting everyone's game. And I think it's just really naive to what mixed martial arts is about. I mean, to really think that you're going to use uh, hand combinations to stop Randy Couture's double eight takedowns and takedown attempts. Like me personally, I have a friend, uh, this kid, William Monroe, he's a pro boxer, and uh, he always jokes with me about how if he was to ever fight one of us fighters, how he would, uh, you know, he'd take a few step backs as we're, as we're coming in for his legs, and he'll catch us with an uppercut to, to stop the shot. And I just think it's really ridiculous. Uh, so I think he's going to really get a get a taste of what mixed martial arts is about uh, once he gets the first leg kick or that first, uh, you know, once uh, you know Randy Couture clinches him, a referee doesn't break up the clinch. So um, I just think he's way in over his head, and uh, it would have been more wise, and he would have been a better representative of boxing in the start at a more realistic level, maybe taking one or two uh, amateur fights, and, and then, you know, hopping up into the the big boy league. 
Yeah, exactly. It's just hard for a guy like James Tony that that visions himself as a save all to the world of mixed martial arts coming in as the boxer he is. He wants to come in and fight the best of the best because in his head he truly believes that his striking is going to going to nail him. I think he made a comment last week that the ground game and ground and pound and wrestling is for girls. TJ, was that the comment that he made? He's Did you hear been, this? He's been saying things like that for a while. Yeah. Well, you know what? I know. James Tony, I'm not going to say he's a friend. I just know James Tony. I can't wait for Randy to put that put that boy uh, asleep or you know quiet him down, shall we say? <laughs> it's going to be pretty awesome for our whole sport. We'll yeah, finally get to shut up the uh, boxing critics. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one of the things I want to talk about is the money increase in your life. We know that it's not just about the purses that people get for the fights. A lot of people get caught up in that, and yes, we have to because that's how you, that's your money. That's the money you're making. I'm going to venture to guess that the amount of sponsorship money that's starting to show its eyes to you or its green color to you is probably you're, you're being offered deals potentially that are far beyond what you're making in a year of fights. I mean, do you notice that, that the sponsors are coming at you more now, John, and, and that sometimes the, the offers are getting extremely strong? Yeah, um, you know, more now than ever, uh, sponsors and endorsements are, are, you know, a little better and more easy to come by. Um, but, it, you know, it's, um, it's, uh, Something I'm definitely really grateful for, and it's uh, one of the main reasons why I uh, I try to you know carry myself with respect, um, especially in the public eye and the decisions that I make. You know, like if you realize uh, no one's ever heard me swear or disrespect anyone, I try to be someone that uh, companies would want to associate themselves with, and someone that will represent you know any brand with respect and dignity. So, um, you know, uh, just uh, play my cards right in the octagon and try to be the best human being I can be and and, you know, all this stuff is coming along with it. Uh, very cool. Now, with that kind of an attitude that you have, now your brother, and res- please correct me if I'm wrong, your brother's a professional football player, correct? Mm-hmm. Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore Ravens. Now, he's uh, he's in camp now, so is he's not going to be able to come to the fight with you this weekend, obviously. Or will he? Yeah, yeah he's not going to be able to make it because uh, camp is starting. But when I have a younger brother who's a Syracuse player, he's going to come to the fight with me and... We're actually going to hang out in San Diego for about four days after the fight and just have a little vacation, brother-brother time, and kind of catch up. That's, that sounds great. Now, wait a minute. i got to envision this. TJ, have you ever seen this one brother, the football player? Now, you got another brother that's a Syracuse football player. Now, these boys are big, John. Is, he, is, <laughs> is your other brother coming down bigger than you are? Yeah, yeah, my little brother. Uh, he's, a, uh, he's a junior at Syracuse, and uh, he's about six feet six. He weighs oh. about 260. Uh, he just turned just turned 20, so we're gonna have a great time and and you know maybe go surfing or something in San Diego. So should be fun. Okay. Very cool. Now, have you surfed? You know, I'm a surfer, but have you surfed? No, I haven't surfed, but I will try. Uh, I try anything one time. So you're gonna fall fun. in love with it, John. Are you a good swimmer? I can swim pretty good. Yeah, I can hold my own. I don't right. know about wavy ocean water, but we'll see. Just remember when you're in the ocean, never swim out towards the ocean. Whenever you have a little bit of an issue, swim perpendicular to the beach. Okay, either swim oh, okay. directly in, but let's say you feel a toe or something, don't make the mistake of swimming out. Swim perpendicular to the beach. You'll always keep yourself sided with the beach, and you'll swim out of any, uh, what a lot of people know popularly as, as an undertow, but really like a rip current if it ever happens when you're swimming. So just that's one key rule to swimming in the ocean. <laughs> Knowledge is power. I'm going to try to keep that in mind. All right. Sounds good. I don't want you taking on any great whites with spinning elbows 300 yards off the shore. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I, I still my favorite John. I just want to mess with me. Yeah, I still my favorite John Bones Jones in a, in a matchup with a shark. 
Well, actually, John, if you ever do come in contact, and I'm not trying to freak you out, okay? But if you ever do come in contact with a shark, it doesn't matter how big, there's two things you got to do. You either punch him right in the nose. Well, yeah, put your finger in the eye. Absolutely. But hit him with a good shot in the nose. All their sensory uh, nerves, everything that they censor, because they can actually smell a woman who's like having her period. They can smell her a mile away. They can hear, they can sense uh, water movement and stuff like that. It's all in the nose. Just give them a good shot in the nose and a good poke in the eye, and hopefully you'll be okay, John. I'm going for the elbow in the eyes. I gotta have that on film. YouTube viral hit. Oh my god, that'd be the biggest thing happening. Also, John, in the ocean, you can deliver that elbow twelve to six, no problem. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah no, no, no disqualification. <laughs> no disqualification at all. All right, John. We know no, you gotta go. We know you gotta go okay. train. We know you gotta go train. But are you gonna be? Like, I gotta ask you a question. Are, are you gonna be like hey, there? Uh, are you gonna be, be one hey, of the first? won't be out there, will he? What's that? Mazzagatti won't be in the ocean that day, will he? He should be good. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it was da- if David had Dana had his way, he'd have the shark swallow Mazzagatti before he came over to talk to you. So don't worry about it. Oh, uh, good deal, good deal. <laughs> Listen, um, the Expendables is coming out April thirteenth or August thirteenth, I think it is. Are you going to be like me, where I'm going to be one of the first in line to see this movie, even if it was a bad movie? I got to see the movie with this cast. Are you like that with these action films? Absolutely, I'll definitely be. I uh, did watch that movie. Um, I went to the 18 with Rampage, and I just think it's really important that us fighters, you know, encourage and support um, fighters that are breaking into like the mainstream and breaking, you know, breaking down doors for the rest of us. So I'll definitely be a supporter of the movie, even if it sucks. I smell a little thespian wishes in the mind of John Jones, TJ. John, do you see yourself having a little uh, TV movie action sometime in the future? Uh, it's definitely something I wouldn't be opposed to. Um, you know, right now all my goals are in the gym and, and uh, you know, UFC dreams, but uh, who knows what the future holds, and, and uh, I'm an open book. That's good. I like to say it. I, you're not an open book, John. Any fighter that walks in thinking you're an open book has got a big surprise on hand for them. So I know what you mean. I know what you meant by that, but you're not an open book. You're not easy to read when you step in that cage, John. <laughs> Very true. Okay. I want to just keep it up there. Keep it real. All right, listen, John, get back to work. I don't need any striking coaches pissed off at me for keeping you too long. So get back there. I'll see you on Saturday and Sunday. And um, huge uh, best wishes for this weekend. And go out there and do what you do best, my man. Hey, thanks a lot, Bruce. Always a pleasure. All right, me too, John. See you soon, buddy. Take care. All right, TJ. uh, John, as always, the humble great fighter that he is about to be greater than ever with each fight that he has that was fun now let's take a break on the sure dog radio network we're going to come back with the buffer 180 segment one 967 9244 call in for the rest of the hour it's time for the buffer 180 call in and talk to bruce 877-967-9244 now back to the voice of mixed martial arts bruce buffer Hi, Bruce Buffer back on the Sure Dog Radio Network. This is the Buffer 180 time. We're going to make it for the rest of the hour as we talk about things going on in the world. So please call us at 877-967-9244. Let us know what you want to talk about, and uh, I'm game for anything that that may be. All right, TJ, more proof the world's coming to an end. What happened? Now, it's the Jersey Shore again, TJ, the cast of the Jersey Shore. You're obsessed with these people. 
I'm obsessed with idiots, okay? <laughs> I'm obsessed with idiots that can make the money on the level that a school teacher can't even make in this country that's when true. she's supposed to be doing the most righteous job in the world, and that's teaching our children how to get through life well, in a very beginning way. The sad part is these Jersey Shore kids are also teaching our youth of the nation um, basically just who not to be, but the the parody of, of some people and these Jersey Shore people is – it's amazing to me. It's mind-boggling a little bit. Well, it's mind-boggling. It's what I call showgirls fascinating. Showgirls, we said it before on this. When I use the term show, showgirls, showgirls with Elizabeth Berkley was one of the worst movies ever made, yet one of the most enjoyable to watch for various reasons. So it's like I painfully watch this. I don't, excuse me, I do not watch the show. I read their publicity. I do not watch the show. I watched two of the shows, and my diabetes started to kick in, which I don't have and I don't want to get. So I don't watch the show. But I can't help but seeing the publicity. Are you ready what happened? The Jersey Shore cast actually was invited. You have to be invited by the New York Stock Exchange to ring the bell. What? 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 Why? 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 There are a lot of deserving people that haven't even gotten that, you know, honor and privilege. I mean, I don't understand. I don't understand it, Bruce. Bruce, are you there? Apparently, Bruce has gotten so angry, he's killed his connection. You know, I'm just going to say it. I think Bruce secretly, deep down inside, loves the Jersey Shore. I don't think he watches the show. But if you notice, every single week, Jersey Shore reference, it happens. Now I'm right here. I'm, I'm, right I'm, here. I'm done talking bad about you now. You can come back. Okay, no, that's all right. I'll find out when I listen to the show later. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so anyway, it's like getting back to the Jersey Shore. It's like we're, we'll leave this with ten more seconds. The New York Stock Exchange is a privilege and an honor to start. What is this world coming to when some of the brightest men in the world who run the New York Stock Exchange reach out? And I'll tell you what it is. It's obvious. Do you know what it is? No. It's uh, it's publicity. Sure. They're 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 getting the idiots right, with the but... with the bouffants and the six packs from the from the Jersey Shore to come in because it will attract attention to the New York Stock Exchange, which people need to invest in. Well, that's for the true. Future of the country. That's true. But it's, it's it's a sad day in American history when. Not that our economy is hinging on it, but our economy is sinking so low that we have to take reality dum-dums and uh, try to exploit them to get a little more you know, stocks being traded. Well, we're going to get to Hamza in a second from Utica, New York, but here, here's the way I look at it, too. Huge risk. When Greenspan talks, the governmental official Greenspan, when he talks, right, the market either goes up or down 100, 200 points. Right. Are you familiar with this? Yes. So you bring on bouffant stupidity and six-packs to ring the bell. People could get sick of this. I'm surprised the market didn't go down a 1,000 points. Maybe that's where we're at. <laughs> just I crashed, almost called, just killed everything. I, I was worried about Black Tuesday. I swear to God. I thought we were going to have a problem. I was going to call my broker and just tell him to take pull my money out. out. Yeah, put it back in this afternoon. Take it out this morning, please. Yeah. All right, well, that's unrealistic. So let's take Hamza from Utica, New York. Hamza, are you on the phone? Hey, guys. Hi, how are you, Hamza? Good, good, good. I was just thinking. I was just, I was just listening to uh, Bruce's interview with John Bones Jones, and uh, you know, I really, I had some issues with it. Uh, he said some things like, "John, you can be a millionaire," and 
all these things, and he was very complimentary toward John Bones Jones, which is okay, but uh, he was saying a lot. And uh, I was thinking, like, what if John gets his head knocked off by the Russian guy? Like, all those things he said could, like, you know what I mean? Could hurt well, could. I mean, all these promises of grandeur, he's going to be a millionaire at 28. And, well, the you know, thing, though, the thing, though, Hamza, that I think, and I don't mean to speak for you, Bruce, but the, the way, I mean, that could happen. Vladimir Metrashenko's a tough guy, but John being so young, he's almost afforded the, the you know, the occasional stumble. I mean, yeah, he could lose on Sunday, but I don't think that really dictates the rest of his career. I think, you know, being so young and the talent he's already displayed, Bruce, I mean, he, he could have two or three stumbles and still be a millionaire and probably a champion by the time he's 28 years old. Well, that's exactly correct. And, Hamza, here, let me add something to it. First off, when you talk to somebody about the future, you don't talk to them about the fact that they're going to get their head knocked off on Sunday and their chances of their dreams of being a fighter and achieving a million-dollar status in a career will probably not happen. That's not the way it works, especially when you're talking to somebody who is so promising and probably one of the top five most promising hey, fighters in mixed martial Bruce, arts. No, no, no. Hold on, Hamza. Hamza, Hamza, let me finish. Right. I talk, you listen, you respond. Listen to me, please. Let me finish, and then you can have your moment. Fair? Yep, go ahead. Thank you. Now, with that being said, okay, TJ is correct. He could have a stumble. Vladimir Matyshenko is completely capable of knocking his head off. That's the beauty of our sport. We're looking forward to a great fight. Given the chance that he does take this on and he does continue with the status and the drive that he has, if you look at the fighters establishing themselves these days in the UFC, they are becoming millionaires within a very short period of time, roughly a two- to three-year period. On an average, I could be way off on that and that it could be sooner or it could be a little longer. The fact is, by the time this man's 28 in the next three years, he will have made his first million. I know some of the sponsorship money coming at this young man, and it is large dollars. You don't know this. People don't know this. They only see what the pay is. You've got to look at the overall picture that's involved. I'm done. Go ahead, Hamza. All right. You know, Bruce, my advice would have been to the kid, uh, John, you're doing great. You know, whatever money you're making right now, you should watch it. Don't give any money to your friends. Don't get in trouble. You know, don't let this money go to your head. Uh, $80,000, I think he's making around 80000 a fight. That's a lot of American families could use $80,000 right now. That's enough money for any man to live on. And if... I did not cut him. I think we might have lost him. Though. All right, well, if he comes back, let him back on, okay, TJ? But huh. let me comment on what Hamza was saying, I, and I hope he calls back. Hamza was correct in everything that he just said. There isn't a thing that Hamza said that wasn't correct, but it's not that I made a mistake by not mentioning those things to him. John Jones happens to be a friend of mine that I happen to know his mental makeup to a certain extent right now and what he's capable of doing. $80,000 is a lot of money, but John's making more money than that in sponsorships right now, TJ. Oh, sure, and absolutely. And, and you, if you take three fights a year, if it's just at 80000 that's 240000 Equal or surpass that with sponsorships, now multiply that times three in the next three years. What have you done, TJ? You made a whole bunch of money. You made about a million and a half to over two million dollars. Simple facts from the simple points that I was trying to make. He is correct, though. Take care of yourself. Watch your money. These are all things that people have to be aware of, and I think that John's got that in his makeup, but we'll wait and see. And if John blows his first million, he's still in store for more. I firmly believe that. But again, Hamza was correct in what he was saying. 
He had some good things to say. Let's take Gilbert from Texas. Hey, Bruce. Thanks for the call, and I appreciate you taking the call. It's an honor to talk to you. Thank you, Gilbert. You're a great announcer. I love your interview with John Jones. You do that very well. Thank you, I have a couple points about Chel Sonnen and Anderson Silva, then a lifestyle question. Go for it. Uh, With with Chel Sonnen and Anderson Silva, I don't know if you heard the comments today by Chel Sonnen, but, you know, I don't know if you take that as, like, good comments, hyping the fight, true comments, or what do you think about his comments? And what do you think about Anderson Silva, Anderson Silva's fighting style the past couple of fights? Uh, let me start off with the second part of your question because I need to hear the comments made by Chael this morning. I'm not aware of them. I was in meetings all morning before my show. Um, Anderson, so did you ask me what I think of Anderson Silva's style versus Chael's style? Is that what you're asking me? Well, I mean, I mean, kind of his showboating the last couple of fights. Well, I think that the problem with the show, first off, I, I hate showboating, okay? I do not like it. I don't like it at all. I don't want to see it. Um, Sugar Ray Leonard, back in the great days of boxing, used to showboat. And I love Sugar Ray Leonard's boxing, but when he was showboat, I'm like, Sugar, just cut it out. You know, I don't want to see this crap. Same way I feel about when Anderson Silva does his thing, because Anderson Silva is such a great fighter, uh, multi-talented, multi-changeable you know, changeable fighter, can change up at any given moment to any position. Um, what Anderson Silva needs, and I said it before and I'll say it again, and I hope that Chael brings this in, which I think he, I think Chael will and is totally capable of, is Anderson needs to fight a, an opponent that takes the fight to Anderson. That brings Anderson up in the fight. If the fighter, as he's taking it, the fight to Anderson, lets down in that attack at any time, whether it's a butt scoot, Brazilian jiu-jitsu style or something, then Anderson's going to fly into these annex out of pure frustration if it continues over a long period of time. Anderson has has to be attacked the way he wants to attack the fighter attacking him because I still think Anderson is more of a, a defensive to offensive fighter than an offensive fighter. He loves to capitalize on people's moves. Am I wrong, TJ? Oh, he does, absolutely. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, the thing about Anderson, too, if he showboats in this fight at all, if he starts to get a little too loosey-goosey, he might wind up on his back. Chael will take he, him down. Chael will take him down, and Chael will do everything he can to destroy Anderson Silva if that happens. I am sure that after the last scenario, which was one too many uh, with the showboating, Dana, Dana White, I'm sure, had another very good, strong heart-to-heart with Ed Suarez and with Anderson through Ed Suarez or directly with Anderson. So I think Anderson is understanding that this fight is much more than just a fight. If I'm incorrect, this fight could actually dictate some of Anderson's future in the UFC. So this is a huge fight for Anderson that he has to get way, way up for. And let's see if he does, because Chael is going to walk in, and he's going to take this fight to Anderson as best as he can. And Chael is no slouch whatsoever. Mm. Strong, strong opponent, great jiu-jitsu fighter. Now, what are the comments that were made this morning? Refresh me, please. Well, I think it was like a teleconference where Chael had said that he's going to take the title away. Dana White's going to fire Anderson Silva the next day. And that, you know, Anderson Silva's not a good person. And just trash-talking him with Anderson Silva just didn't reply. He just said, okay, okay. He's not really Anderson Silva, I guess, not selling the fight. Where Shell, I don't know if this is coming off of him wanting to beat Anderson or him just talking trash. Well, I'm not big into trash talking either, but it does serve a purpose, and sometimes it's very cool and calculated, which knowing Chael to the level that I do, this very well could be with Chael. A lot of fighters trash talk for two reasons. A, it's their nature, and they can carry it off like a Muhammad Ali. Okay, could trash talk and carry off the win, call the round he was going to knock out or end the fight in. In this case scenario, <clears throat> it could also be one fighter named Chael Sonnen 
this is his way of not only training to get up for the fight, but mentally training himself and painting this image of the fight that's going to take place you know, later on next month to get himself up for the fight both mentally while he's training physically to do the same. So this could be the character onset that Chael assumed for himself going into this fight thinking that this is what he needs to do to be the 100 and plus percent that he wants to be that night that he walks in, which I mean both physically and mentally, and not allow the image and the all-star status of the greatest fighter in the world pound for pound, or one of them, to plague his mind and corrupt his mind with the goal at hand. So you never know where this is coming from necessarily. And there are some fighters that I know have been extremely nervous going into fights, the trash talk in boxing and in MMA. And I'm not going to mention any names, but I will tell you that I do not see Chael Sonnen as a nervous fighter going into this fight. I see him as a very, very confident uh, fighter going in to do his job that truly believes that he can beat Anderson Silva and probably truly believes everything he's saying about Anderson Silva. There was a comment I heard the other day when he was talking to the media, and the media says, and I'm not saying this, this is Chael talking. I like Anderson. I love Anderson's humble image in person. He's the, he's the most consummate gentleman I've ever, I've ever met, or one of the most consummate gentlemen, along with John Jones and others, including Chael, that I've met outside their fights in the octagon. But when he said to the media, you all say you like Anderson, yet when you talk to him, he never talks to you. So how can you say you like him? You know, He's like putting out points, and I thought to myself, hmm, if that's true, it's actually kind of a salient point. You get where I'm going, TJ? Oh, I feel you. You know, in your media, I mean, have you, when you interview Anderson, what kind of an interview do you receive back? Um, very, very sort of cool, collected, confident, calm. Okay, well, that's Anderson you know, Silva. That's, he, he's, that's his style. He's he's got a little James Bond going there, you know, and and I I admire that. It's all man very a few cool. words, to be honest. Man, yeah, yeah but, a man, but he talks with what he needs to talk about, and that's yeah. with about twenty eight plus weapons that we can name. <laughs> so, uh, Gilbert, any other questions with you? He's we gone. Lose Gilbert? He's gone. Gilbert, thank you for your call, sir. I appreciate it. I'll see you when we come down to Austin. Big Al from Thousand Oaks, California. Are you on the phone? I am. Hi, how are you, sir? You both Uh, said, how are you at the same time, so. I'm I'm sorry, I'm I'm fine. I'm fine, Big Al. How are you? Good. Actually, uh, I had an issue with the John Jones interview for an entirely different reason. And I know the people who listen to the show know that this is a a kind of a sore point of mine. But I just felt that there was a, a slight condescending tone to the interview um, and then it, it seems like you took this fatherly role to give him all this advice and to, you know, give him advice about how to kill a shark and how to spend his money and how to hold himself. And I think it's a little bit presumptuous that he didn't either know those things or that, you know, he has someone in his life to fill that role. You know, he has a very close relationship with his dad and with his brothers. And, you know, this is a college-educated man who, who obviously, you know, knows how to carry himself. And I just, I just found... Parts of the tone of the interview a little bit less interview and a little bit more the world according to Bruce. Well, you know, that does happen on this show from time to time. And, it, and if it's something that you're uncomfortable listening to, I can understand where you're coming from, Big Al, and I can respect it, of course. Um, but understand that when I'm talking that way, and a lot of times, this is not your typical interview show. I, I'd like people to understand this is not an MMA show. Let's talk, let's ask questions, let's get answers. I have relationships with a lot of these people that come on this show. And if it seems presumptuous, I don't mean it to be presumptuous because John has a wonderful relationship with his family, which is one of the reasons that he is the, in my opinion, handles himself in the class way that he does with not only his fans, but his friends. And John and I have actually become friends 
more so this year than when he first came in, not just because of being interviewed, but I've spent time with John and we have mutual friends. So if I was getting on a personal level of friend to friend and support factor and maybe sounding a little like Uncle Bruce, A, that's my prerogative. This is my show. B, I'm not trying to be condescending to the man because I think he is fully aware of all these things, but we're just having a, we're having a happy tete-a-tete back and forth in a friendly interview. Now, I don't look to try and find spice in interviews for people, something wrong with people, something to step on people. If it happens, it happens. This was just an interview back and forth, off the cuff, free-flowing talk, and that's what It's Time Radio is all about. If I care to give advice or sound like Uncle Bruce at times, it's not because I'm any better than anybody else. It's only because I'm very supportive of their goals at hand, and I've been through a lot of my life, as I'm sure you have too, Big Al, up to, the, up to your age, that... I like to give support to the people I believe deserve it and will potentially fulfill it for themselves. So I don't know if I answered your question or made it feel any different because of it, but that's the best way I can answer the question, sir. Yeah, I, I can respect that. And I guess my only other question is, as an employee of the UFC and someone who announces fights for you know multiple fighters, um, it seems like you have a lot of strong opinions about how certain fighters carry themselves and what they do and what you like and what you don't like. How do you balance that with your job of, of being an announcer who's supposed to neutrally announce the fight? And I'll listen to the answer off the air. Thanks. You got it. Good question. I like that question. Um, first off, I'm a man with an opinion. And I express my opinion and I share my feelings with people outside of the octagon on fight night. I have a job to do for the UFC. That job is the octagon announcer. My job is to walk into the octagon, and my job is to announce each person with the respect, the energy, and the power that I can give to excite the fans at hand and hopefully those watching on TV, and most importantly, the fighters, the two fighters standing inside that are about to put their blood, sweat, and tears on the line in the arena of honor called the octagon. The reason that I do that, and I do it very well in my opinion, as best as I can do for myself, which is what I do it for first and foremost, because I got I to gotta please myself with my work, and, I, and again, it's for the fans and for the fighters, is I am unbiased when I walk in the octagon. If I seem a little more excited talking to a John Jones about his future, and then a little less excited talking to uh, you know another person on another day, which I can't say that that even happens, then that's just human nature. But when I walk in the octagon on show night and fight night, my job is for equal opportunity announcing. I don't bet on fights. I don't take sides in fights. I don't even give opinions on who's going to win a fight before the night of the fight. Why? Because truly and formally, when I walk in that octagon, this is what I'm all about. May the best man win. Period. Okay, TJ, what's next? Uh, no more calls. We're we're pretty much done. We can put a bow on this thing. Uh, I know. Uh, right. are, are you are you playing more poker this afternoon? I mean, is this uh, tournament continuing? Yeah, it's cont- I got to be there. I got to leave here in a half hour actually. Uh, so I'm gonna take a drive down to Gardena. I'll be at the Hustler Casino. We start at five o'clock. There's only 75 players. So if anybody wants to come watch, you'll be able to come. Um, like I said, I've got 400,000 chips. Uh, probably in the top 30 percent of the field at the start of the uh, game tonight. We should be done, I would say, by midnight or so, and somebody will be sixty, seventy thousand or more dollars richer. Somebody else will be thirty to forty thousand richer. Somebody will be twenty richer, and on and on down until uh, somebody's got all the chips. We'll make it and happen because you got to buy me some dinner coming up uh, Sunday evening. 
I'll buy you dinner even if I don't win tonight, TJ. I owe it to you, and I, I'll do that every night of my life except for the nights that you're in town. Not- so <laughs> – <laughs> <laughs> so let's go on to a couple other things here real quick. Sure. Um, this might go over the head of a lot of people listening because this is a, a football player who played for the Oakland Raiders in 1971. But the three-time pro bowler with the Oakland Raiders, the Ohio State star, died Tuesday of a heart attack, Jack Tatum. Jack Tatum died at 61 years old. Jack Tatum was known to give the fiercest defensive hits and punishing tackles in the NFL, and I'm very sorry sorry to say that he was the one responsible for paralyzing Daryl Stingley uh, during a 1978 preseason game when Stingley just went up for a pass and he came with a crunching uh, high blow that paralyzed Stingley. I, I, was, I, I saw that game on Monday Night Football, or rather on Sunday, and it just it's one of those things I didn't care to see. So I'm not saying he was a great man. I'm not saying that, but he was a legendary UFC player and a very controversial one. Now, next on the athlete. Just real quick, before you move on, before you move on, um, maybe you'll sign with me. I, I, I'll be having kids very soon, Bruce. I'm more more likely to push them in the sport of mixed martial arts and, and training in the combat uh, sports than I am to allow them to play football. Football scares me. Football's dangerous. I, I absolutely agree with you. Um, we used to play sandlot football games out here that sure. were pretty strong, in our, in, as a lot of kids do in high school. And, you know, we had broken shoulders and yeah. arms, and luckily I wasn't one of them. Um, but I remember I played football in junior high school in Philadelphia, and I hated the two-a-day workouts in the, in the summertime and the yeah. pads. I love the game of football. I love it. It's a great game. I love it. Great game. But when we moved out here to, to Malibu when I was 15, right, mm-hmm. I, w- I went on this – I tried out for the Santa Monica High School – football team and I had a good shot I mean I was I they they liked the way I played and I had a real good shot in the summer training again I hated the two-a-day training and I saw these guys walking into the pool in the speedos bathing suits that was the water polo team and I was a swimmer back east I actually held the record for a breaststroke race when I was like 12 years old. Wow. A different kind of breaststroke when I was 18, but I was real good at it when I was 12, right? <laughs> so then so then um, I come out here and I see the guys going into the uh, the water polo game and I thought, wow, man, it's like no pads, contact sport because you can still nail somebody in water polo, yeah. right? Yep. And, and I went in. I love to swim. So I joined the water polo team. I played on the water polo team. I got uh, in my junior year. I – had the most goals scored out of anybody. I was up for the most valuable player of the year, right? Oh, season wow. rep. Season. Mm-hmm. I lost it. Why? Because they used to take bets on me what quarter of the game I would get knocked out or kicked out of the game for excessive force. Because I used to I had, I used to do elbows in the hole in the front of the net where you're juggling the ball right. and you come around, you spin, you throw the ball in. You know, you get somebody that's a bit of an a-hole, and these guys, are, you don't see what goes on underneath the water, right? Right. So you come around with that elbow in the side of somebody's head that's giving you a hard time, and trust me, they're going to think twice about blocking you again. Yeah. So I got caught you know, more than once for stuff like that, and I didn't win my MVP award, which I was crushed, but that was high school. You know, so. that water polo, you have to be in amazing shape. Great shape. You don't touch the ground. You know, you've got 10 or 15-minute quarters. I, I forget how long they were been a long time since I played, but it's not the greatest sport to watch, but it's a great sport to play, and yeah. you get in, you do get a great shape, and you know, surfing, it all helped, and then I joined the swim team, and I was anchorman on the, the relay team, I swam the individual medley, 100-yard uh, dash, I was very fast in, and I went to the CIF finals, I screwed up my flip turn, I hit my shoulder on the wall, and I lost the race, even though I was ahead of the pack, so uh-huh. I don't know how I would have panned out, but I'm not tall enough 
like a Michael Phelps. I mean, I was playing water polo against these Michael Phelps characters right. that you practically had to crawl up their back just to get over to get to the ball, you know? And it's like, I realized that I had to try harder at six feet tall to, you know, to get in there and really do this thing right. But I had a great time. And the only reason I stopped playing in my bar, I'll end this real quick. I stopped playing in my varsity year because I enjoyed sleeping and the, and the coach wanted me to come in at, you know, 5.30 in the morning and swim like three miles before we start school. And, and my heart just wasn't in it. I so I... I had to. I had to go to Jim. I'd, I'd need arm floaties if I played water polo. You want to hear a story about Jim? Oh, I'm sure. not going to mention any names. Sure. I went to Jim, and it kind of like it was too. It was too much for me because everybody was playing badminton. And there was all the kids yeah. that weren't like the athletes of the school and all, and and I just thought, you know, nice kids and everything. I skipped gym class and I'll go across the street and eat my breakfast. Right. Right. That I used to take that, and that was I cut class. I'll be honest with you. Okay. Oh, you were a cutter. I was a cutter, but only a gym. I mean, I graduated in the top quarter of my class in high school, but I cut gym. I cut gym many, many times to go to, to breakfast. It turned out I was going to get a failing grade. I had a B-plus average, okay, right. uh, low A average. It turned out I was going to get, get cut, uh, get a, a failing grade, which would have affected issues, right? Sure. I was making heishi uh, necklaces, turquoise heishi, coral necklaces. I was making these really nice, selling them for even as much as $100. Okay, you hippie. Which, a lot of money in those. Okay, yeah, but I, I used to I used to net like anywhere from six hundred to a thousand dollars a month off the necklaces and earrings oh I was God. making in high school. I, in high school, this you was were back loaded. I I when I took a girl out on a date, we went to dinner, we went to the movies, we saw we we had fun. We would go to Mammoth and go do ski weekends. It would cost money, you know. And it's like this was my way of do of supplementing wow. the money I needed to date. I'll be honest with you. I'm going to be honest. That's really what it was. Bruce I has wanted been a money to have a long, money. long time. Well, it was it was either on myself or it was on them. I wanted to be. I didn't want to ask my my parents for money for anything. My mother loaned me seventy five dollars when I was sixteen years old, so I could go on a three day weekend. Uh, a ski trip, right? Seventy-five bucks for three days. Seventy-five bucks for three days. I came home at two in the morning. I overheard them because my dad was in between companies at the time, and my and we're living in Malibu, okay? Right. And and you don't have to be rich to live in Malibu, but it, it's not cheap. But we had this wonderful family unit, and I remember hearing them that they were talking about the bills and how they had trouble paying the bills that month. And all I remember is my mother managed to get me seventy-five dollars to go on a ski trip that I didn't have to have, okay? I never forgot that, TJ, and I told myself I would never borrow a dime off my mom or my dad ever again the rest of my life, and I swore I would make enough money that if they ever needed money, I would be the one that could take care of them. That was a goal I, I received at age 16 because that one incident, and I had it before, but it was that one incident with my mom mm. that took care of business. Now, let me get back. Oh, by the way, my dad went on to do great, and my dad was a writer, and you know he's always gave us a very good life, but don't ever think I had a silver spoon in my mouth. Sure. So now so – now, Getting back to the other situation, which I got lost on. Oh, the school. So here I am getting the failing grade. What does? What do I do? Now, this is where my business mind came in. TJ, I knew the, the teacher of the, of the class was one of the coaches. And I won't say what team, what sport. I don't want anybody to, want to figure this out. Okay? I went to him, and I made the most unbelievably beautiful necklace for his wife. And done. he got done. I got a passing grade. Because yeah. he knew I wasn't. He knew it's not that I couldn't do gym. Right? Right. But – Done. Got the passing grade. Statute of limitations is over, and I have no problem telling that story. That's pretty much how I graduated high school, Bruce. Well, now you're going to have to – well, can you elaborate a little bit? <laughs> oh, I, I just didn't do anything. I just didn't do anything at all in high school and because uh, I worked for a radio station. And uh, I was waking up at 2 a.m. to go to work and I come to school, and I'd just fall asleep. 
and uh, I, I could talk. I could I could definitely schmooze with the teachers. And my English teacher, my senior year, uh, I convinced her that if I read one book throughout the entire uh, semester, she'd give me a B. Well, she gave me a B. I read the book. Um, I uh, I was short of math credits. This is this is really bad. I was short of math credits my senior year, uh, but two years short of math credits, and. Uh, I was like, I'm not going to be able to do this, and I, I work, and, and I, I'm on the radio, and, and all this stuff, you know, trying to ham it up, and uh, they put me in the ESL math. Do you know what ESL stands for? No. English as a second language. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so I, uh, I took ESL math my senior year for one quarter, and that, that supplemented two years of uh, math for me. Well, you know, live, live and learn. Listen, I was great in math. I was great in multiplication, division, addition, subtraction, but, and, I, and I actually skipped a grade. To learn at a higher level in math, they they skipped me. Not in high school, in, in uh, junior high, right? right? No, excuse me, in grade school. But then when I got to uh, that stuff called geometry and algebra, forget it. I lost complete interest in math. I'm yeah. not, I knew I wasn't. I'm, I'm not going to be an astronaut. I know. I know. I'm yeah, not, you don't. You, know? you don't really. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not one for school. To be honest with you, Bruce. I think no matter what you do in life, you end up unless it unless it involves either. Uh, a job that has to do with science or law, uh, I think you basically learn how to do that job on the job. Um, but that, that's another topic for completely well, – you know, we'll, we'll discuss that topic, and I'd like to discuss that because there's a big question about people with college. I believe that college is one of the greatest things that a child – excuse me, a young man or woman can do, mm. and it's a necessity. In order to be an attorney, to be a doctor, sure, to be – you have to go to college. In my case – I, I was going to college studying business. I, w I had my first company when I was 19. I, my, it was a corporation, and I, I, I'll elaborate in the future on this, but I was working from 5.30 in the morning to 2 running my business and going to school from 3 o'clock to 10 o'clock at night learning how to graduate in business, right? right? After two years in, and I was making you know double the average income, if not more, and I talked to myself. I, I said, look, I'm studying during the night. What I'm doing during the day, let me just take a two-year sabbatical, pursue my business goals, and see where it takes me. Well, it wound up taking me where it took me, and I never went back to college. I never graduated. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that's the way to do it. No, it's, just it's not way, for it's everybody. For me. It but, work for me. but, you know, I mean college should not cost what it does now. My wife, she's an artist. She doesn't work in art, unfortunately, because there's no money there hardly. Mm -hmm. But uh, art school – racked her $80,000 up in debt and made her a worse artist. Yeah, I know people that are in their 40s still paying off their college loans. You know, it's, it's crazy. But I'm looking at my godchildren now, my, my boy Henry and Rupert, two and a half and five and a half. I love that you name, know, by the way, Rupert. It's, it's great. I've got to have to teach the kid how to throw, though, because he's going to get picked on. You know that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But, and he's a big kid, so he's going to get picked on even more. So we got to make sure that he definitely knows how to handle himself. So... Um, with that being said, like when I had those dreams in the WSOP main event of the 8.9 million or a million or whatever, you know the first two things I was going to do, TJ? What? I was going to slap a couple hundred thousand dollars each in each kid's college account. Why? They're going to need a half million dollars to go to school. Pretty much. When they're 18. Especially if you want to do – I mean if you're if you're a doctor of any kind, you're spending over 100 grand. Yeah. If you're a lawyer of any kind, it's, it's even – it's upwards of 150 to 200 grand. Well, take it a step further on the attorneys, my friend. There are so many attorneys graduating that there are many attorneys graduating from fine schools that can't find a job. What do you do then? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you do all this. That's, I mean, that's that's scary. You know, it's just uh, 
Uh, okay, we're going to save this one. This is a subject I want to elaborate on. This is a good uh, talking point. Good talking point. We're going to go in there. We're also going to have a sex show coming up in the next month. Uh-oh. I'm going to bring over. I'm going to bring on a couple of girls I know that are sex experts in relationships and in the act itself. Okay, they're sex experts uh, is what you're saying. They're, they're sex experts. That's correct. And we're going to have a total one-hour call-in show. Oh okay. wow. We're going to have to build that up. I want call-ins to come in, and I, you know, for, and we'll monitor the questions, of course. Okay, so I promise you that's a couple things that are happening, and I'm going to do my best. I don't know if I can pull it off. Wouldn't it be great if we get Sly Stallone on before the oh, release? Oh, that'd be, that'd be fantastic. I mean, we've had Stephen Moyer. You know, we've had so, Stephen Moyer. We've I had mean, Stephen Austin from. Yeah, we've there. had Steve Austin. I mean, this this show is not below anyone. I mean, we can we oh. can possibilities are endless on its time with Bruce Buffer. Well, I know that they value the MMA community and going to see their movie. So I'm going to sell it like that. If he's free, I'm going to try and get him on. We've got two weeks. I'm going to Make it happen, best. Bruce. Make it happen. I'll, also, I, again, best of luck in this uh, tournament going on this evening. Thank you very much. And I, I really I appreciate that. I feel very good about it. I also want to say best of luck to Tony Hawk. You heard what happened, right? No, I did not. What happened to Mr. Hawk? Tony Hawk is – Talk about a role model in the skateboarding world and how he came from nothing and made what he made of himself. I mean, multi, multi-millionaire. Million, dollars is not always the mark of a man. The man is the mark of a man. But I'm sorry to say that Tony came to a sudden hip-smashing halt. Uh, he gave a half-pipe demonstration. What a half-pipe is is when you take one of those tunnels, you cut it in half, yep. and it go up and down. The skate trick went wrong. He uh, basically sheared his pelvis oh. and has severe hematoma. I don't think, you know, I'm sure he's had many, many injuries, but, you know, he's no young buck anymore. No. So, you know where I tried to do, I tried, you know where I did the 360? He attempted to land a 540 and failed. This is why anything above a 360 is very, very hazardous to my health. Oh. But getting all the kidding aside, Tony Hawk, man, I, I dig Tony Hawk, man. I admire I, the... One of my I favorites. Admire, yeah, definitely. Admires entrepreneurial ability, everything else. And uh, did you ever watch uh, uh, Price is Right? Oh, absolutely. One of my favorite Bob, shows is Bob Barker. Well, Bob Barker came public. He thinks that Drew Carey's boring. He said after about three right. years, the time of transition, uh, right. it, when asked what does he think about his replacement, he said, um, I tried to make the show really exciting, and he doesn't do that. He just plays the games. You know what? I like Drew Carey, too. Uh, I think he's right, too, TJ. It's not the same. It's not the same. Uh, I think Drew Carey's incredibly dry on the show. I, I think he's downright rude to some of the older people that come on the show. And uh, basically, yeah, it's the pricing games. If you don't like the pricing game, uh, you might as well not even watch that segment of the show because Drew's not going to give you anything where Bob Barker, I think, would give you a little flair, a little personality, little mm-hmm. Barkerisms from time to time. And mm-hmm. uh, the show has basically lost all its personality and flair. Disappointed. Yeah, I haven't watched it, but I, I can see where this is probably the case is true. Uh, two more things real quick. The man who murdered John Lennon is up for parole again. Can you believe that? Uh, he goes up for parole every couple of years. Uh, I, I, I hate to say this, but I think he's safer in jail. Um, I think there would be – it would be very interesting if he were released. That's all I'll say. Yeah, it would be very interesting, and I hope he stays in jail too. Greg the Barber, you heard about this guy that knocked out Suge Knight? Yeah. Yeah, well, did you see that video of that, that – that, uh, Wonderland security guard, the L.A. nightclub that choked him out I did from not, behind. I did not see it. Heard about it though. It was a bitch move. It was a punk move. And the and the uh, 
the uh, security guy I'm reading here was fired as a result. And when after watching the video, okay, Greg the Barber, I mean, I don't know what kind of guy this is. He could be a total dick, you know, so sure. it's not like I'm sensitive to his getting choked out. But that's not the way security guards are supposed to handle themselves. Not supposed to choke anybody unconscious. No, and he choked him out. Eyes in the back of the head, and the guy came up swinging, not knowing he was choked out. Yeah. But I'm glad to see – I know these incidents happen, and there's a lot of idiots out there. But at the point of authority, there can also be idiots too, and this guy blew it for himself. You can't do this kind of stuff. There are cameras everywhere. You know, There's other ways to have dealt with this situation. I think the guy was just making a name for himself because he probably knew this was the guy that punched out Suge Knight. Who knows? I could be completely off base, but uh, sorry the guy got bounced as a bouncer, but you know what? You play that game wrong, you're going to lose. All right, listen, we're going to take uh, our week to ourselves. I'll see you all Sunday night from the Octagon for UFC on Versus. John Jones, Vladimir Matushenko, tough, tough fight. Looking very much forward to that and looking forward to the rest of the fights on the card. And there's some good ones. Mark Munoz and Yushin Okami, Jake Ellenberg and John Howard, and the ever-ready Tyson Griffin and Takanori Gomi. Oh, boy. This is pay-per-view quality on Versus, this to be is, honest with you. It really is. Uh, Dana White and the Fertitta brothers are giving us another freebie for enjoyment. Hope you all tune in. See you then. TJ, always a pleasure. Wish me luck tonight in the tournament, and I hope I bring home the gold. I'll let you know what happens next week. Thanks, everybody. Take care. It's Time with Bruce Buffer is a TJ DeSantis production and is property of the Sure Dog Radio Network. Its content is intended for private use only. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's Internet that gives you ultimate control. With the XFi app, you can pause the Wi-Fi at the push of a button. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Total Wine & More announces points with a purpose. Now through September 13th, collect five times points on wines and spirits. Points earned equals a matching donation to local charities. Up to $2 million in total. Shop with us today or visit TotalWine.com. Terms and conditions apply. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.